1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Jane Wilkins-Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm coming to you live from New York City. I want to thank you so much for being with us. And now, as always, please, everyone, say hello to my producer, Lori, who's as merry as the month of May.
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, I know um, there's a leadway there.
1: <laughs> there is a lead. Now it's all about positive energy, right?
2: Yeah. And...
1: As a segue, we have a very positive show today. After the break, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Daryl Regal. He's a renowned dermatologist, and he's going to talk about the importance of sun protection to avoid skin cancer. And we're coming into high sun season, as you all know. But first, Lori, it is my greatest pleasure to introduce you all to Dr. Leo Galland. He is a board-certified internist, and even more importantly, as far as I'm concerned, he is a recognized world leader and Integrated Medicine. He went to Harvard University and NYU Medical School, so he's very smart, and he's also a brilliant clinician. In fact, he won the Linus Pauling Award for his trailblazing vision that created a new approach toward healing and a new way to practice medicine for thousands of doctors, and it is about time. He's the author of many books, including The Fat Resistance Diet, but the one we'll be talking about today is his latest bestseller. It's The Allergy Solution, Unlock the Surprising Hidden Truth About Why You Are Sick and How to Get Well, which he wrote with his son, Jonathan Galland. Um, and and you'll be surprised at, at how much of our, how we feel our health is related to allergies. And, and a lot of that link I didn't even know about. But thank goodness for Dr. Gallen. That's all I have to say. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gallen. It is a a treat to have you with us, a healthy treat. Well,
3: it's a pleasure to be talking with you today, Jane.
1: You know, I wish every doctor, every person on this earth were as enlightened as you. (laughs) I do. I have to tell you. (laughs) Well... Yes, you're speechless, but it is true. It is true. You know, I have to tell you, doctor, I get a lot of health books sent to me every day. And and now this is just between us, so nobody else listen for the next second. I don't believe them all. You know, they don't necessarily resonate with me. All right, everyone, now you can listen again. I got so much out of your book. It's, it's fascinating about making those important small lifestyle changes. And as I always say, you know, genetics loads the gun, lifestyle pulls the trigger, And, you know, Dr. Gallen, you have helped thousands and thousands of patients over the years who have come to you with that universal health complaint. You know, what's wrong with me? But many have, for the most part, they accept not feeling well as the status quo. That's the way they should feel. Um, They don't even know what feeling good is anymore. And that's unacceptable. But, you know, Doctor, before we talk about the allergy solution, which I urge you all to buy right after the show, let's talk a moment about integrated medicine, you know, where you really focus um, on ways to prevent illness from happening to begin with, not only on the illness. Tell us about that.
3: Well, the, the essence of integrated medicine is really the focus on the individual person. The problem with conventional medicine is it's all about diseases. And so the question is, what disease does this person have? Prevention in that setting is really about, well, are there diseases that we want to prevent and how do do we do it? It's not individualized. It's all disease-oriented. That's the way that you're taught in medical school. It's the way I was taught, and it hasn't changed. Uh, Although lip service is paid to the notion of treat the person, not the disease, you're not taught anything about Understanding individuals. Now, what I began to realize early on, and it was really um, um, sharpened by my working with people who have allergies, is that each person is unique. Each person is an individual and needs to be understand, understood, and approached from the perspective of that uniqueness. Um, and so, I developed an approach to analyzing the problems of people um, which focused on their individuality it involves family background but it also involves all the different factors in their life that brought them to the point where they are right now in real time And, um, and it's just a very effective way for treating the whole person and for helping the person stay healthy and avoid illness.
1: Yeah, that's so important. I mean, how many times do you go to a doctor? They don't have time. You know, in this world, unfortunately, of managed healthcare, they don't have time to ask you what you eat, how you sleep, what your environment is. It's just, you know, this test, that test, you know, that d- drug protocol. I mean, obviously, there's some drugs. Of course, I'm not a totally anti-drug. You, you can't be. But on the other hand, you know, they have their place. But I don't think that enough of the lifestyle, what you do, is considered when you go to a doctor for a visit. And, uh... Which is one of the
4: reasons that
3: I write books and and wrote the Allergy Solution, because um, first of all, the what what's needed to real for you to really take control of your health is your own knowledge and understanding, and you can get that from reading. I took forty years of clinical experience of working with patients. Who had all sorts of chronic ailments and um, structured it in a way that people could apply my what I'd learned and the programs that I developed to healing themselves in the allergy solution and of course, one of the big um, one of the important findings is that Allergy may manifest itself as a lot of different conditions. And I think that's, an, that's something that integrative practitioners are constantly um, realizing. And it's certainly something that I realized early on. There's an epidemic of allergy sweeping the world. Mm. And I'm, there I'm just talking about reg- recognized allergic disorders. About a billion people
4: mm-hmm.
3: have allergies. Um, Over half of Americans will experience an allergic reaction to something during their lifetime. But there are all these other symptoms that people have that they don't even realize are allergic that, in fact, originate with allergic reactions in their immune system.
1: Yeah, I was fascinated. You know, I didn't even know. You say that. Allergies are behind unexplained weight gain, anxiety, fatigue, ADHD, depression, digestive problems, joint pain, heartburn. And as you just said, most people don't make that association. They don't make that link. But there is a link that you discovered. And that's what you talk about in the book, The Allergy Solution, which is what I find so fascinating. Again, you know, people say, what's wrong with me? They, they, don't, they can't pinpoint it. And you have. So let's talk
0: uh, yeah, a little bit about that. Yeah, and it's not
3: only my observations, by the way. We, we have about 500 um, references to the scientific medical literature in the book, and there are scientists who have studied these phenomena. Of course, everybody. the reason we have 500 citations is everybody looks at their own little piece of it. What John and I did was to put it together in a comprehensive way that I don't think anyone yet has.
1: And an easy way to follow. It's not because again, I I get confused a lot. (laughs) I, I confuse easily. And when I'm inundated, and I think that's the problem with a lot of people, you know, they too much is coming at them. And unless you really spell it out. It that makes it easy for them. They just shut down. They can't process one thing more. And this really spells it out. And what I um, got from this also is that there are four interacting factors. There's environmental toxicity, which is indoors and outdoors. There's the depletion of intestinal bacteria. And the modern Western diet, big surprise, behind this allergy epidemic. So what? let's start with what, what happens to the body when we have these allergies? What, what does it do? How does it react to these um, assaults, as it were?
3: Okay, well, what an allergic reaction always involves your immune system. And your immune system is a, basically an army of cells that's main function is to fight infection or to help you fight infection. And with allergies, there's an excessive and unneeded immune response that is due to an imbalance in immune functioning. And what the immune system does, uh, people are always asking me, well, what's the difference between an allergy and an intolerance? There are a lot of things that people are intolerant to. With an allergy, the immune system takes whatever the signal is that's being generated in your body and it amplifies it, so that a minuscule trigger can cause a catastrophic reaction. Um, and because of the, the role of your immune system in creating this severe uh, this severe reaction, and so one of the key aspects of our program in the Allergy Solution is to help your immune system restore its balance and harmony so that it responds in the way that it was designed to respond. And the reason that we have this allergy epidemic is environmental and nutritional changes that have been occurring at a rapid rate over the past 100 years are really changing the way our immune systems respond. Hi, I'm so
4: one of the people who... Yeah, Go ahead, I'm sorry. sorry.
3: Go ahead. People who have a certain kind of genetic predisposition are going to fall victim to that first, but I don't believe that there's anybody in the world who's immune from developing allergies if the environmental and dietary changes that have occurred continue and continue to increase.
1: Yeah. And you talk about nutrition. You you have a lot about nutrition in the book. And you say that uh, good nutrition can stop that cycle from snowballing. And I'm sure you're not referring to the standard American diet when you say uh, good nutrition. (laughs) But not everyone is going to switch from a double bacon cheeseburger to a kale salad. In fact, my husband would sooner starve to death than eat anything that resembles escarole. So talking about a nutritional approach... Where do you, and I'm sure you have a lot of patients, you look at their diets, you speak them diet, and you're just like appalled, you know, but you've seen it all. So I guess you're not appalled anymore. <laughs> but, right. So well, I have
3: seen you, it all start- and most of the people that come to see me have already made a lot of changes. I mean, you know, one of the ways that I have been able to develop the programs that I've developed is that I see patients who have already tried everything. And it hasn't worked for them. And so that challenges me and helps me get to the next level. Well, if, um, if everything that's supposed to be good isn't working, then what's missing from that? Uh, in fact, I've, I've trained thousands of uh, health practitioners over the years. And, um, and, may, and they would start doing uh, uh, following protocols that I developed. And one of the things that has been so exciting to me is people who have, um, who have heard my lectures or have been trained by me will give me feedback like, you know, I started working with omega-3 fats or I started recognizing the importance of magnesium or food allergies um, or trace minerals and it really made a difference in my practice um, or parasites or yeast or bacterial overgrowth. I mean, there are a lot of different areas that I've, uh, that I've um, kind of pioneered in, in the educational area. And um, so I, w- I continuously see patients who have already been to practitioners I've trained and the, whatever protocols I developed several years ago didn't work for them. So I'm constantly being challenged to, get, to dig deeper and get to the next level. And the allergy solution is the result of, uh, of all of that continued work and research.
4: So,
1: yeah, I mean, it's obviously um, you've, you've taken all the patients, and again, you've had thousands and thousands over the years. Um, I think I'm. Do you take private patients still? I want to be a patient. Oh, I'm going to yeah. send my I, I have to a you.
3: consulting practice in, in Manhattan.
1: That's good. I'm oh. coming. I want to be trained by you and I want to be your patient. <laughs> I want it all, Dr. Gallagher, <laughs> for sure. I've been doing this show long enough. I fancy myself a doctor by now, but I don't actually, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't I don't have the degrees to be a doctor. So what can I tell you? Now I want to be trained by you. You're going to, that's it. Um, but you, you also mentioned something interesting, a doctor, that... Um, about the, your gut. And, and there's a lot of said about that these days, the probiotics and even this uh, leaky gut, which people are talking about that never spoke about that before. Um, and you say that two-thirds of your immune system is located in your gut. How does your gut, and, and, and we don't um, respect our gut enough, I guess, by what we eat and we, we do abuse it so much. So it starts, how does it all begin in, in the gut?
3: Okay, well, first of all, your your intestinal tract has a lot of functions that you don't even know about. And the main thing that you want from it as a person is that it just does its job quietly, that it doesn't talk back to you, you know, so you don't get noises and symptoms. You know, it's just there, and it's digesting and absorbing and eliminating. But it has all these functions that you don't even know it's performing. Um. Two-thirds of your immune cells are in the gut. There are tens of trillions of bacteria there. They are there as soon as you're born. And during the first two years of life, they're constantly changing. Uh, and then they become kind of stable at about the age of two. Um, and they may remain stable for life. They start to change as you age. But there are so many things... That happen in your life that can alter them and I, I view the gut as kind of the boot camp for your immune system because all the cells that are there travel throughout your body and then return to the gut and the bacteria there are like the drill sergeants they are training your immune system so and this process starts in infancy but it never stops it continues throughout your life So the the composition and nature of the bacteria, and there are hundreds, maybe even a thousand different species in your gut, that influences the way your immune system functions. Um, And one of the big issues that that all of the research indicates is that for your immune system to function well, it needs a diversity of healthy bacteria. I think of it as a rainforest but the health of a rainforest is dependent upon the diversity of species in the rainforest and the loss of biodiversity is a sign of illness in that rainforest and it's also a sign of illness in your gut and it is intimately related to inflammation in your Mm -hmm. gut or anywhere in your body. Uh, Nutrition has profound effect on the diversity of bacteria in your gut and here's a little story you can tell your husband uh, since he really likes hamburgers it was a scientist and he just and doesn't said,
1: like kale he, d- he can't eat hamburgers But yes know for sure
3: he'll I eat mean, hamburgers you, you don't kale. have to love kale <laughs> number one you don't have to love kale to eat it there are many different ways of preparing it yeah. um, roast is pretty good but if we have a recipe in the, immune, uh, in, the, uh, in the allergy solution because one of the things that I rec- recognized is there are a lot of people in this country who are not going to get all the vegetables and fruits and herbs and spices um, that they need from just eating meals of food. And so we have a recipe for a soup uh, called the immune balance soup that has a lot of kale in it. Uh, and it also has parsley and scallions and um, uh, carrots and broccoli and turmeric and black pepper and it I designed it very carefully to optimize the benefits nutritionally of all of its components which complement one another um, and to make it really tasty. so, you know, you don't have to sit down and eat kale salad, um, but you can you can cook kale, or you can have it in a smoothie. And we have a we have a recipe for a smoothie we call the immune balance smoothie. That um, whereas the soup is cooked, and so the nutrients that are most available to you from cooked foods are the ones you're getting from the soup. The smoothie is not cooked. And so those nutrients that you best get in the raw form are in the smoothie. And by using soups and smoothies in an intelligent way, um, even Americans who don't really like eating the best and healthiest of foods can be well-nourished.
1: Yeah, that's it. I apologize. I interrupted you before you told your hamburger story. My husband's a lawyer. Sure. I have to get the facts right. Otherwise, he gets very upset oh. when he listens to the show. Oh, this, so well, this please was tell. Just,
3: This was just, it, it's a short story. A scientist in England who is writing a book on nutrition uh, with, and was studying um, microbes in the gut, the gut, my, micro, gut, the gut microbiome, um, asked his son, who was a college student, to eat all his meals, for one week at a well-known fast-food restaurant chain. And so this kid ate, and he would pay for it. So this kid was really psyched, and his friends were all jealous because he was going to eat burgers and fries and, and chicken nuggets and soda, ever, all he wanted for a week. Well, of course, by the end of the week, he felt really awful. When they did the tests on the gut microbes, in the course of uh, it was ten. In the course of just ten days, I think it was ten, a ten-day diet. He lost fifty percent of the bacter- almost fifty percent of the bacterial species living in his gut. So he, he devastated them. It, this was like going in and clear cutting mm-hmm. a rainforest. Um, um, you know, this was worse than taking an antibiotic. Wow. And so that is what the standard American diet,
1: yeah, I know,
3: the fast food diet, is doing to the bacteria that live in our gut that we need to be healthy. I mean, you know, our bodies are ecosystems, just the way the world is an ecosystem, or is a is made up of ecosystems. And um, that is the thing that is really, really missing. In modern healthcare and modern medicine, is a perspective that helps doctors and their patients understand that their bodies have to be approached from an ecological perspective. It's not just about going in there and treating a disease. You really need to understand your body as an ecosystem because that ecosystem. Um, can be strengthened it is the basis for for healing. It is really the basis for health and that's a perspective that uh, Jonathan and I um, kept coming back to in uh, chapter after chapter and that um, informs every protocol and program in the allergy solution
1: yeah you you included really. Everything that's that's what makes the book so so interesting f- for me because there was a lot that you know I I, I had no idea and I thought I've been doing this long enough that I do have ideas but I didn't I learned a lot as well so let's talk about one of the other um, important uh, toxins that you talk about assaults I should say and then we'll go back to how we can restore everything and some of your tips that you that you could leave us with um, you call it the uh, toxic elephant in the mm-hmm. room. And those are environmental assaults. And, you know, I had Suzanne Summers on the show. We had Suzanne Summers on the show uh, last week, and she was talking about all the, you know, environmental things that assault us on a daily basis. And when I get home, I live in an apartment in New York City. The building was using some toxic chemical to clean the lobby. And I'm thinking, I don't want this, but a lot of it is out of our control. So um, how do we deal with the environmental toxins?
3: Right. Well, I mean, the first thing is let's deal with what isn't in our control because they're about, um, you know, I mean, if you live in an apartment, there are issues that you need to deal with. If you live in a private home and have neighbors, there may be issues you need to deal with. And there's certainly issues like um, industrial pollution and automotive pollution. And we talk about all those Mm -hmm. in the book, but there are in your home, probably 100,000 synthetic chemicals that you bring into your home without even knowing it. So let's start there. And it was, there's a fascinating study, actually, that uh, John found. It was done at the University of Washington. And this relates to you and your neighbors. They studied um, the air that was flowing out of dryer vents in two homes in the uh, Seattle area and in one home they just ran the dryer and they didn't use any uh, scented laundry detergents or um, dryer strips um, and in the other home they they used the scented laundry detergents in the dryer strips and the air coming out of the out of the, the first dryer it was just hot air and pr- quite clean the air that was co- being vented from the other second dryer was loaded with volatile chemicals. Some of them actual carcinogens, uh, which I'm sure is is part of what uh, Suzanne Summer's concern was.
4: Mm-hmm. But
3: these are substances that impact on your immune system. They irritate your skin and the lining of your respiratory tract, and they contribute. They can they contribute to allergy. And of course, you, I mean. Look, you live in Manhattan, as I do. You walk right. down a street, there are some apartment houses that have their laundry room in the basement and they vent the air to the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what that air smells like.
4: Yeah.
3: You have to, I mean, I have to walk across the street sometimes right. to pass those apartment houses. So don't bring, them, don't bring stuff like that into your own home. Fragrances um, are usually filled with synthetic chemicals. Exposure to air fresheners and, um, and cleaning sprays, increase the risk of allergy and inflammation of your respiratory tract. You don't need these. I mean, why use an air freshener? It doesn't freshen the air. It just masks the smell that's there with some kind of synthetic chemical. I mean, why don't you find out what's causing the bad smell and correct it? And maybe try bringing in some fresh air. And in Manhattan, you may need to use an air purifier. We do. Because, you know, the air outside, you know, might have diesel exhaust. But, you know, nutritionally, there are things you can do to protect yourself. There's an amazing study, which we discuss in the allergy solution, uh, that was done at UCLA. They took people with allergies and exposed them to diesel exhaust particles. And the level was about what you might encounter under an overpass on a freeway. Okay, so this was, not, this was something that people certainly in L.A. and, uh, and New York encounter, can encounter on a daily basis. And exposure to the diesel exhaust particles really aggravated the, um, the level of the, their allergic reactivity when they were subsequently exposed to allergens. They then fed those same people broccoli sprouts for three days. Actually, they did it for longer. With, but within three days of eating broccoli sprouts, and it was the equivalent of eating about six ounces of raw broccoli a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but a little easier to take the broccoli sprout concentrate, which you can put in a smoothie, instead of chomping down the raw broccoli, which maybe your husband wouldn't like.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: but You um, know him. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. I've never met him, but I think I know him. You
4: know him. You um, will.
3: <laughs> and, and the thing is that the broccoli, that the taking the, the broccoli within three days dramatically increased the detoxification capabilities that, in these people's cells and prevented the diesel exhaust from aggravating their allergic reactions. So uh, so that's there is... Uh, One of the things that we constantly trace in the book is the interaction between good nutrition and environmental toxicity and the ability of the right nutrients and the right foods to give us resistance to the toxins in our environment. Uh, But getting back to the toxic elephant in the room, to the things that you can control, there are a lot of things, there are all these things that you bring into your home that don't need to be there, and so start there. Yeah, you're going to have an argument with the super or the landlord in your building or the co-op board about the chemicals that they're using, but that could take days or weeks to resolve. So start in in your own home by not bringing toxic substances in. And one of the most important of these, and it bridges the um, what we were talking about with the bacteria in your body and the, um, and the toxic elephant, are antibacterial soaps and shampoos and cleaning sprays. And there's one chemical in particular. It's called triclosan, T-R-I-C-L-O-S-A-N. Which has been around for 40 years. It's been increasingly used. Its use parallels the allergy epidemic, and triclosan is used to kill bacteria. Um, you know, and it's so it's thought, oh yeah, this is going to make things cleaner. Well, it's the wrong kind of clean, because what triclosan triclosan is absorbed into your body. You you apply it to your skin, it's absorbed through your skin. It travels throughout your body. A study done at the University of Michigan found that 50% of people had triclosan coming out of their nose. That sounds crazy to me, but I mean, that's, that's fact. That's not speculation. Yeah. And in children, this is a study done at the University of Maryland. Um, the greater the levels of triclosan in their urine, the more likely they were to be allergic to all sorts of things. Triclosan is killing healthy bacteria, and it is actually increasing the growth of staph bacteria. Staph are dangerous bacteria. They can cause serious infections. And, but triclosan actually makes them attach themselves more efficiently to your own cells. So, and, and then staph produce toxins that um, produce an imbalance in your immune system and make you more allergic. You know, so there's this um, tapestry of effects, which you can you can just stop it by not using triclosan. Yeah. Well, just so
1: it. you, just so you know, Doctor. I, after I read your book, I threw out my deodorant soap. Just so you, you didn't have that impact. And I hated to, but I did. And there's a lot. You know, it's a big brand name, and and so it's true. And if you look at the ingredients, it, it's Doctor. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of the show. You know, I could have you on for, you know. 10 hours more. You have to come back and continue. We haven't even...
3: I'd love to do that, Jane. You really are so
1: fascinating. And everyone... The book is called The Allergy Solution, Unlock the Surprising Hidden Truth About Why You Are Sick and How to Get Well. And you do have a website, right? PillAdvise.com. Is that the Uh, best way to find... Dr.
3: Galland. The website to go to is drgalland.com, D-R-G-A-L-L-A-N-D.com. And, you know, the allergy solution... Uh, is available through bookstores, through um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent booksellers. Uh, You can link to it through the website, and there's a lot of information on the website.
1: It's excellent, honestly. There's information and inflammation which is what we all have to watch out for so uh we're going to come to you i'm going to come as uh, sending my son as a patient and i'm going to come to you too in a different way as a patient you'll see you you will maybe regret the day you ever met me (laughs) (laughs) i'm also a confirmed oh i don't think so but that's (laughs) another that's another story (laughs) so thank you so much dr gallant honestly I, I, i you're wonderful and uh, I hope I hope you come back everyone stay with us when we return I'll be talking to Dr. Del Regal about protecting ourselves from skin cancer you're listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael show we will be right back
2: as listeners of our iHeartRadio talk show know Jane Wilkins Michael is one of the foremost experts on all things health, beauty and fitness Jane has just released her highly anticipated new book Long Live You, a step by step plan to look and feel better than before In it, she shares a collection of advice, tips, and personal antidotes along with lifestyle suggestions from some of the world's top beauty, health, and fitness experts, many of whom have been interviewed on this show. Are you hoping to make positive health decisions, improve your emotional well-being, establish a support system, give something back to your community and the world? Jane's new book will help you look years younger and also live a longer, healthier, happier, and more beautiful life. You can order Long Live You, your step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before at your local bookstore or at Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, where it's available for delivery or as an ebook. Or go to Jane's website, janewilkinsmichael.com. Now, back to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show.
0: Want to know where you can hear Jane Wilkins Michael's show better than before? Well, that's easy. You can tune into Jane via Clear Channel's iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and at bmajor.org. Now, back to Jane Wilkins Michael and better than before.
1: Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael show on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm here with Lori as always. And now I'd like to welcome to the show Dr. Daryl Regal. He has a private practice right here in New York City. He is clinical professor of dermatology at New York University Medical Center, and I'm sure you've seen him on many shows, including CNN, ABC, Fox, NBC, CBS, and he has done some very important research in the areas of risk factors and prognosis for malignant melanoma and other skin cancers and factors leading to aging of the skin, and we don't want any of those. Dr. Regal, absolutely not, right? Dr. Regal, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being with us.
5: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
1: Now, on a personal note, everyone and Lori, (laughs) I've known Dr. Regal for a very, very long time. His daughter Ashley and my daughter Lisi were best friends all through school, and I haven't spoken to you, Dr. Regal, since they graduated in what was it, 2006? And and you probably didn't really, Jane. Wilkins Michael, radio host to Jane, mother of Elise at first, did you?
5: <laughs> I did not, and I put, just put it together, and I hope my daughter's doing well.
4: Ashley's certainly doing well, too. She's
1: a lawyer. She's, she is a lawyer. I know, but I have to tell oh, you about wow. Ashley, um, and I'll tell you this on the air. A gorgeous girl, probably in her late 20s, came up to me, I think last year or the year before, it was at a party, and said, hi, Mrs. Michael, and I had absolutely no idea who it was, and then she said, I'm Ashley Regal. And you know what? It made me realize how quickly time passed. She is all grown up. Where did she the time indeed. go? She is time to we're, come.
5: We're too. the same. We, we haven't changed.
1: We're the same. Yeah, we haven't changed. Of course, I think it's time for me to come back to you for more fillers. <laughs> it made me realize <laughs> right then and there that maybe I have age. The girls are fine. I have age. So well, I'm glad to hear all as well. Please give her and, and, and Beth my best. So let's talk right, about cancer. Uh, Each year, there there are more cases of skin cancer than combined incidents of breast, prostate, lung, and colon cancers, uh, which means that one in five Americans will develop skin cancer in the course of a lifetime. With 90%, these are all the facts that I just learned, 90% resulting from overexposure to the sun. And here's the scary part, doctor. It's estimated that more than 8,500 people in the U.S. are diagnosed with skin cancer every day, and one person dies from uh, melanoma. And it's huge.
5: Talking. You know, one person one person dies from melanoma every hour, and in fact, there'll be over ten thousand Americans. First time this year, over ten thousand Americans will die from melanoma. So it is a, a it's really a startling statistic, and it really puts in perspective how important preventing this cancer is.
1: Now, just past um, uh, May is melanoma. Um, I think it was last Monday, Melanoma Monday, or. Right? That was first Monday in May. That's correct. First Monday in May. Now, what is the significance of that day? Well,
5: this was started several years ago as a way to remind people as we begin the summer season in most parts of the U.S. the fact that um, we really need to protect ourselves from the sun. And what's, as you alluded to before, melanoma is one of the few cancers where we know the primary cause. The overwhelming majority are caused by overexposure to the sun in some cases, overexposure to ultraviolet from tanning beds, which is a whole other important issue. But uh, the reality is the purpose of that day is to remind people of that and also to remember that if you have a spot on your skin that's glowing, bleeding, pers- crusting, or changing, to make sure that you see your dermatologist because melanoma is probably the most clear-cut case of a cancer where early detection is key. If you see it early and you're going to treat it treated early, not that big a deal. But once it's spread, basically nothing works. And a melanoma the size of a dime on your skin has a fifty percent chance of having already spread.
1: Wow! There, there is a card that I got called the ABCDEs of melanoma, and needless to say, as a hopeless hypochondriac, I have put that on my refrigerator, so <laughs> I refer to it every day. <laughs> Oh. Well, um, it's,
5: it's, it's good to hear you have that. We actually came up with the ABCDs of melanoma. It's, it's, this is, last year was the 30th anniversary of doing it, published in 1985. And, uh, you know, it's nice when you do something in your life that's sort of become a, a general rule. It's uh, used worldwide. Some of the letters are changed, uh, translated to different letters. But uh, it's kind of exciting when you hear people use it uh, because we know it has saved lives.
1: Now, what's the A? I had the card right in front of me, but I must put it. I put it back. <laughs> I don't know what I did with it. it it's so I, I take it everywhere with me. But A's or are, are what? What's A? What are some well, of the well?
5: Help? A, well, so it's as easy as A B C.
1: Okay.
5: A is for asymmet- a, a is for asymmetry. Um, you, if normal moles, you could kind of draw a line down one side, and they look like a mirror image of each side of it. Each half looks almost the same. While melanoma is tend to be very asymmetric, where one side half doesn't look like the other half. B stands for border, and most moles have a very clear-cut border, while most melanomas have an irregular or indistinct border. C stands for color. Most moles are either a light color or a darker color, but they tend to have the same color all the way through. Early melanomas tend to have a bunch of different colors going through them. And then D stands for diameter. If it's about the size of a pencil eraser or bigger, which is a quarter of an inch or six millimeters, those are the kind of features you look at. Those are the ones we came up with initially, and then about ten years ago, because change is so important, we added an e to it for enlarging, because something that's growing disproportionately to the moles around it is something you should look at too.
1: Yeah, excuse me. There's a moment of silence while I'm checking my moles <laughs> to <might> be sure. <laughs> but you should go to a doctor. What once a year, like with your with, with all of your uh, other tests, you should go and get your moles checked out. If there's something that you think is, is worrisome or should you just do it as part of your regular ex- exam health routine?
5: Well, well, the answer to those questions, both of them are true, okay? What we say is for seeing a dermatologist is on your birthday, have your birthday suit examined. So once a year, have it checked, but also it's important to know your moles. And we, as part of that paper we did in 1985 with the ABCDs, we also talked about skin self-examination. And with the sport to learn your moles once a month, you know, go next to a full-length mirror so you can see your back, learn your moles, and then if something changes, it'll be much more uh, easy to note it. It really is a team effort between you and your dermatologist to help catch something early before it's a problem.
1: So even something that looks innocent to you may not be if you get it checked out, right? I mean, you That's can't... That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's important. Now, your team also sent me something called Looking Good in 2016 Toolkit, and there's there's sunglasses, there's a UV bracelet. Um, Tell me a bit about the campaign, the Looking Good in 2006 campaign. 2016. That's where I am. 2006 when the girls graduated. (laughs) See, I was talking about our daughters, and then I got all confused.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this is part of an overall campaign through the American Academy of Dermatology, which is our national group that's really. Focus on preventing cancer. I mean, our goal, honestly, as dermatologists, we want to put ourselves out of business when it comes to skin cancer, and we work everything in terms of what we call primary prevention, which is protecting yourself from the sun, you know, looking for shade where possible, avoiding the midday sun where the rays are strongest, wearing sunscreen, and then secondary prevention, where if you see a spot that you're worried about, come see your dermatologist so it can be biopsied quickly and looked at, and that's all part of the same campaign. There's some things that are in there. I said with sunglasses, there's a a wristband you can put on that if you get too much sun and exposed to too much ultraviolet light, in fact, what happens is uh, you, it turns color, so it warns you to do that or it warns you to put more sunscreen on. All those things are important. I mean, it just, you know, it's all kind of common sense. Some people say that, oh, dermatologists, say never go outdoors, don't have any fun. We're actually fun people. We like being outdoors.
1: You are fun. Um, I can t- attest to that. Yes, you are.
5: <laughs> and you're a great
1: father, too, just so you know.
5: Well, thank well, well, thank you very much. I have three wonderful children, I have to say. So, um, you do, but uh, um, I, You know, It's important that you can go outside, just use common sense. Wear a hat when you're out there. Wear sunscreen. Uh, these are all things you could do over the summer and just be fine, but still lower your risk significantly of subsequently getting skin cancer. One in five Americans are going to get it at the current rates. We just want that rate to drop.
1: So I think some people are confused. The difference between melanoma and basal cell. Melanoma is more, it has legs, right? It's, a, it's in your system, but basal is just sort of from, really from the sun, 100% from the sun? Is that, am I right? Well,
5: kind of. You know, it's, it, there's actually three kinds of skin cancer. There's basal cell, squamous cell, and melanoma. And it has to do with which cell in your skin turns cancerous. A basal cell, it's a basal cell, squamous cell, it's a squamous cell, and melanoma is a cancer of the melanocytes, the pigment cells in your skin. So the most common of the skin cancers is basal cell carcinoma, usually thought to be caused by just chronic sun exposure, you know, the total amount of sun time you've had. Think of your skin as having a meter in a taxi cab, and it always goes forward. The faster you go, the faster it goes. If you end enough sun, even the darkest skin individual is at risk for this. They're very common. It's estimated they're probably more than 3 million a year in the United States of just basal cells. Um, they fact, more basal cells than all other cancers combined, so it's a very common thing. They do grow. They grow slowly. They very, very rarely spread through the blood, but they can be locally destructive, and one-third of them on the entire body occur on the nose. Everybody's nose sticks out and catches sun, so if, if you let it go, you in fact can have a problem with disfiguring surgery required to repair it if you let it go too long. So again, you can prevent it or catch it early, but they grow slowly. The the middle kind is called squamous cell carcinoma. They're about one-fifth as frequent as basal cells. Um, And they usually are found primarily in older people. And again, chronic sun exposure, they look like red spots with almost like a callus on the top of it or a rough spot on the top of it. Uh, And again, caused by sun. They rarely metastasize. In certain locations on the lip or the ears, they might have a little chance of metastasizing. Again, if you treat them early, not a big deal. Melanoma, on the other hand, is the most dangerous kind, but luckily the least frequent kind. There'll be about 150,000 or so cases of melanoma this year in the United States newly diagnosed. Um, the thing with melanoma, as I alluded to earlier, early detection is absolutely critical. If you catch it early and you treat it early, Pretty much takes care of it. You just cut it out and that's it. But once it is spread, there's some experimental treatments, but nothing really works 100%. And that's the problem. And melanoma, unfortunately, is the, by age wise, strikes people earlier in their course. Melanoma is the most common cancer in women ages 25 to 29, what? second most common cancer after breast cancer in women ages 30 to 34.
1: And you get it in places that don't necessarily have the sun either, like on your thigh or on your back, right? I mean, it's, it comes in different, right. it, so it,
5: it looked, sneaky. Well, melanoma, the most common site for melanoma in men is on the back, actually, and women, it's actually on the legs, which is kind of interesting. That's across every country in the world, but you can get melanoma in places where the sun doesn't shine. In the so-called, we call the doubly clothed areas, areas you'd have covered normally and areas you have covered at the beach. And a lot of the melanomas we're seeing in young people we're finding there's a direct relationship to their exposure to tanning salons, tanning beds. I I actually like to call them tanning coffins because it it sends the message a little better. But uh, the reality is that uh, we're seeing it more and more in young people. 20 years ago, it was rare to see a melanoma in somebody in their 20s. And now we see melanomas in people in their late teens primarily from tanning bed exposure.
1: You know, that's interesting, because how many girls, and, and, and Lisey, one of them, unfortunately, uh, will say, oh, I'm going tanning for a while, you know? And and I, I just, uh, I find that, and I say, you shouldn't. There's, you just shouldn't. And and she does. And, you know, I wish you'd talk to her, please. <laughs> yes.
5: Well, yeah, this, this is a case where mom is definitely right.
4: Yeah. And,
5: uh, no, but, you know, it's amazing. One million Americans go to a tanning salon every day, go to a tanning bed every day in the U.S., 1 million Americans, which is a phenomenal number. It just tells you the magnitude of the problem. There are 60,000 tanning establishments in the U.S. It's a very, very big operation. And it's really sad because currently the FDA right now is considering a formal national ban on tanning beds for minors to make it sort of similar to cigarette smoking. You know, you can't buy cigarettes if you're a minor. Some states have different laws. Some states ban them for... 16-year-olds are under, and some states say you have to get parental permission, but this is now before the FDA because it's such a big problem, especially in the era where we're concerned about cost of health care. This is a preventable, virtually preventable cancer, and if we could cut that down, we cut down on cost, too.
1: Now let me ask you something, if you go, and and a lot of people say, well, I'm wearing sun protection so I can go to a tanning bed. Does that make a big difference? If you go, let's say to a tanning bed or even going out in the sun, if you wear sunblock, is it strong enough to stop something like melanoma or skin cancer?
5: Well, so two questions you asked there. First of all, if you're outdoors wearing sunscreen, it definitely lowers your risk. There are a number of studies that show that and uh, studies that have been done in Australia, which has the highest rate of melanoma in the world, so a lot of the studies are done there, there are a lot of uh, fair-skinned people who were sent there in prison ships from England, uh, you know, a century or two ago, they mm-hmm. don't belong that genetically that close to the equator, so they, they have a high rate of melanoma there. And uh, they've been prospective studies where they have people use sunscreen, compare them to non sunscreen users for five to ten years, and then see later on, they get fewer melanomas, which is great. Um, but another question you asked is you put, if you put sunscreen on before you go into a tanning bed, you know, that that's sort of it makes no sense to do it in a sense because it's just blocking the rays. You're going in there and trying to get tan, but you're just blocking some of the rays, but the rays are still bad. You know, it's like, it's like saying, do you want to jump off the Empire State Building? You want to jump off the uh, Chrysler Building, which is a little shorter, but yeah. the end result's the same. And it's, uh, you know, the, the reason you tan so much faster in these tanning beds is that the bulbs, the ultraviolet intensity in the bulbs is at least uh, 10 to 15 times higher than it is in natural sunlight. So that's why you tan faster, but it's also why your skin damages faster, too.
1: Yeah, there should be a warning. A lot of them did go out of business, but there are a lot of others that did not, and and they should. So that's, that's a good point to get across. Now, um... You know, it's interesting, Dr. Regal, my husband had like this pimple on the side of his neck and he let it go. It didn't seem like anything. He thought it was a, a pimple, but it was under. It wasn't a mole. It was nothing. It was just like a little lump that he assumed was a pimple. And he had a heart attack. That's a whole different show. But he's fine. Um, and he—it uh, was great lifestyle lesson. There's a there was a lesson in there. And he's fine. Um, but that pimple got bigger and bigger, and it seemed like a little cyst under his neck. And he had it out, and it was skin cancer. So it was the basal or squamous. What? Which one of those? It wasn't melanoma. But uh, yeah, it sounds
5: like it sounds like a basal. Yeah.
1: It didn't even look like a, a mole. It just was like a pimple under the skin. So it was Well, you know, of-
5: it can it can, it, it can present that way. I mean, my my general rule is if something is growing, bleeding, crusting or changing, see your dermatologist. And that sounds like that would have fit the criteria for it. And, you know, it's again, the earlier you catch it the easier it is. Um, good that it was a basal cell and not a melanoma obviously. Yeah. Once you've had one basal cell, your chance of getting a sec- at least a second one sometime in your lifetime is 50/50. So the other important thing for him to do is be checked regularly. Obviously, so in case the second one comes up, it'll be caught early.
1: No, that's good. No, I will definitely tell him that he will, he will, and and so will I. Uh, now I'm I'm taking a moment to pause to check the pimple, not only the moles.
4: <laughs> it's like on me, right? I have
1: to have to do all that. Now, um, you also now, son, also is a very big factor in aging and you know because your practice uh, has a lot of very beautiful women who retain their beauty because of you in, in many ways. Um, what does the sun do age-wise for us negatively?
5: Well, when you think about it, skin cancer is the extreme of aging. You know, it's, you've, you've damaged your skin. The, sort of the early end of aging is what we call photo damage, which is the sun exposure that you see. And we see some of the early things. We see fine lines, early wrinkles, uh the freckling you see on your skin. Then it kind of moves on a little bit. And you see some broken capillaries around the nose and on the face. And then you see the lines get deeper. and You see the skin start to sag. There's something called solar elastosis where these the elasticity of your skin, the, the firmness of your skin, when the sun hits too much of it, it actually ruins those elastic fibers that helps make your skin sag. They have uh, incredible photos of Uh, monks in Tibet. And part of their culture, they never go outside their entire life. And the pictures of them 80 years old, they look like they're about 20 because they've never had any sun damage whatsoever. And I'm not advocating that as a lifestyle necessarily for people, but it's just an extreme to show you that the sun over time is what ages you. And it clearly does. And that's why I always find that ironic that you have these young women going to tanning beds to look better when all the reality they're doing is hastening their looking worse, basically. It's a good time.
1: No, I should have been a monk. I miss my calling.
5: <laughs> that or where pretty a burka. boring, though, probably. I've decided yeah, it'd be, it'd be doctor, boring. the
1: only way to do it is to wear a burqa or to be a monk. If you wear a burqa with sunglasses, nobody knows A, how old you are, and you're very protected from the sun. They don't even know how much weight <laughs> either. So I think that's,
4: that's my little tip. <laughs> so. It works great. Right.
1: Um, so, uh, but there are now, there are all kinds of ways. There's uh, laser, you know, I'm sure you have all the the um, all the all all good stuff in your office that we all should uh, go visit you for that, as well as checking out our, our moles, all the new stuff that's come out for anti-aging. Um, but one of the most important things also is the good sun block. Is there anything to look for in a sun block or sunscreen?
5: Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, you want a couple of things when you look at the label of a sunscreen. Number one is it should be a minimum of SPF 30. I mean, really, if you're putting on less than that, you're not doing enough. I I recommend 50 or more for my patients, but at least 30, minimally. The second thing, there's some new labeling rules from the government, which really make this a lot better, and you need something that says broad spectrum on it. That means there's three kinds of ultraviolet rays, A, B, and C. Um, C are blocked out by the ozone layers, really don't hit the ground very much, but A and B are the ones that cause the problems. And if it's broad spectrum, it blocks both A and B proportionally, which is what you want to have happen. So you get good coverage for both. And then the third thing it should say on there, to say water-resistant 80 minutes. So they've got nothing, water-resistant 40 minutes, or water-resistant 80 minutes of the three choices. So you want SPF 30 or more, broad spectrum, and water-resistant 80 minutes. At least have all three of those things in the sunscreen. That's what you should be looking for.
1: How about the difference between titanium dioxide or zinc oxide? Is one more natural, or is they bo- are they both the same?
5: Well, they're both they're both basically the same. Uh, There's they're, they're sort of two kinds of sunscreens. So we call them the we used to call them the physical blocks and chemical blocks, and now we call them organic and inorganic. But the the zinc and titanium actually puts a layer on your skin. The old days you use those that thick zinc oxide. Now it's micronized, so it's on your skin, but it's really hard to see it. And uh, it reflects a lot of the ultraviolet radiation. It does absorb a little bit, but it reflects it. The other sunscreens we talk about, which are the you know, oxybenzone, is one of the common ingredients that's in there, the filters are mexoril. And those, those ingredients actually absorb the ultraviolet energy and actually turn it from ultraviolet into red, but so bright outside you don't see yourself glowing red. But it actually makes it red, red lights not bad for you. So it turns it from something harmful to something harmless. And that's how the sunscreens work. So, I actually like sunscreens that have a little of both the organic and inorganic. So, they have the titanium and zinc plus the standard uh, sunscreening agents in them.
1: And if you have sensitive skin or allergic, is there anything you should watch out for?
5: I mean, uh, yes. Uh, about probably 1% of the population is allergic to oxybenzone. So, uh, if you have that, and the allergy you get from a sunscreen, typically, it's unusual. It feels like you put it on, nothing happens, and it's called a photo allergy. And you go outside, and then you start feeling about 10,000 little very minor pins and needles on your skin. And then you get this very fine red rash later that day or the next day. So putting the sunscreen on itself doesn't do it, but putting it on and going outside does it. It's pretty mm-hmm. rare, but if, but if you do have that, you should go and uh, use either the zinc or titanium uh, formulations, which typically don't do that. But people say they're allergic to sunscreens. Most of the time, it's either they're allergic to the fragrance in it or... They just put it on and they, they get a little breakout from it because they put on a, a formulation that a little too thick. But those aren't real allergies.
4: Right.
1: Well, unfortunately, Dr. Riga, we have almost run out of time. I'm going to ask if you'd leave us with a couple of tips, just take home tips. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about my eczema. I'm going to have to come see you as a patient. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll come back Excellent to that. collagen and, and, you know, fillers, what more could I ask for? So, uh, but leave us <laughs> with uh, one or two tips uh, to uh, that we can remember from Dr. Daryl Regal.
5: Well, I'd say a couple of things. First of all, if you have any questions related to this, go to the American Academy of Dermatology website. It's www.aad.org. You know, it's a non-for-profit group that really is getting all the information you need on skin is there in a variety of ways. During Melanoma Monday uh, the Melanoma Month in May, there are skin cancer screenings all over the country, free screenings if you want to have a mole checked and looked at, all across the country. So if you go to that website, and there's also a spotme.org website, for looking at a spot as part of the spot, spot Me campaign, they'll tell you where those screenings are, and you can go get your skin looked at for free. And I think that that's the most important thing I can tell you is if you're concerned about a spot, have it looked at.
1: Terrific advice. Thank you so much. And if someone wants to come to you as a patient, uh, you do have a practice right here in New York City, right?
5: Absolutely. My pleasure.
1: There you go. Well, best to your family. Give them all my love. And I'll see you soon. Everyone, that's our show. Thank you again, Dr. Regal. Thanks, Lori, as always. And thank all of you for listening. This is Jane Wilkins-Michael. I will see you next week. Until then, be wise, be well, be better than before.
0: Have a question for Jane and want to be on the next Better Than Before show?